So it has been said that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And that is a statement that has been attributed to Warren Wearsby, Adrian Rogers, John Maxwell, a few other people along the way. We really don't know who actually was the first one to say it. Great statement. But to understand that statement and to apply it, we need to also have a workable definition of faith. Otherwise, we don't know what is being tested and we definitely don't know what is being trusted. So the dictionary gives this very simple definition of faith, and that is faith is belief or trust. Now, that is correct. It is belief, it is trust. Very simple, but also very vague. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives an incredible definition of faith. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, that is unbelievably helpful for us. It begins to give some parameters and guidelines around the concept of faith. And here's the way I like to think about that. Faith is hope of what will be, that is future, that is grounded in the substance and evidence of what is. That is reality, what is known. Faith is not fairy tales and warm, fuzzy feelings. Faith is not wishful thinking that is devoid of rational thought. Faith is the hope of what will be that is grounded in the substance and evidence of what is. So when believers make statements like, we believe God will provide, that statement is based on the substance and evidence of God's provision over the years. You can go into the word and there's promise after promise that he will provide. There's story after story of God's provision. When you look into your own life and you look into the lives of literally billions of people around the world, there is substance and there is evidence to go along with the belief that God will provide. Now here's where things get tricky. While God provides substance and evidence for our faith, it does not mean we always believe the substance and evidence he provided. Let me go one step beyond that. It also does not mean that we wait for substance and evidence before we act. We need to make sure that when we are stepping out on faith, it is biblical faith. That is, the Bible describes faith as substance and evidence. It talks about the faith, fact that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Until God has spoken, that is not faith. That is presumption on our side. We need to wait for the substance and evidence. Christians make a lot of bold claims about faith. We say things like, I trust God. I believe God. My, my trust is in God's word. The question becomes, how do we know that we are truly exercising biblical faith? How do we know that it is real faith and not just a figment of our imagination? How do we know that our faith is genuine and we're not just talking a good game? Did you know there is a proven way to figure out if your faith is real? So think about it like this. When you were in school, how did your teacher find out if you knew what you said you knew? They gave you a test. In fact, every time you're in class, you could tell your teacher, teacher, I know this. I got it. I promise I understand it. Everybody else in here needs this test. I I'm good. 
Okay, did you know my teachers never took my word for it on that? Here's, here's what they would say, something like this. We'll see as they give the test. That, that's how it happens. You find out whether or not a person actually knows what they say they know based on a test. It's the only way that we recognize those things. Now, take that idea back into the idea of faith. God allows trials to test our faith, to measure our faith, to help us see the genuineness of our faith. But here's what's the funny part of that. God is not doing that because he doesn't know where we are on the faith spectrum. He already knows. We don't know where we are on the faith spectrum. Sometimes we think we're further in the faith spectrum than we really are. That test will help us determine the strength and the genuineness of our faith. It is not hard for a believer to say, I trust God when God is blessing us and promoting us and answering all of our prayers and meeting all of our wildest expectations. It is not hard for a believer to say, I got miles and miles of faith. Here's where it's hard. It's hard to say, I have faith that God is my healer. When you have prayed and prayed and your loved one is still sick and suffering. It is hard to say, I have faith that God will provide. When you've worked your entire life, lost a job, and your house was just foreclosed on. It is hard to say, I have faith that God will protect me. When your mind is filled with painful and horrible memories of things that have happened in your past. It is hard to say, I have faith that God is in control when it seems like every part of your life is spinning further out of control. It is the trials of life that help test the depth and the boundaries of our faith. These trials help us see if our faith is strong or if it's weak, if it's real, or if it's imagined. There are valuable lessons that come as a result of the trials that come into our lives. We need trials. We might not like trials. We need trials. So this last week, we set up our study of verses 2 through 4, James chapter 1, and we talked this last week about trials and perspective. And we're basically answering the question, how should we think in the trial? Where should our mind be? What should we be processing as we're going through that trial? And we saw this last week that trials are incredibly valuable when you have the right perspective. It is our perspective that helps us walk through trials redemptively, intentionally, joyfully, and maturely. We need to see things from God's perspective. Today, we're going to focus on another question. What's being tested? What's being tested? If we miss the focus of the test, we are likely preparing for the wrong exam. If we miss the focus of the test, we will get more and more frustrated in the trial instead of leaning further and further into God as we walk through. we got a lot to cover this morning, so you're going to have to listen fast today. You know I'm going to preach fast. Everybody tells me that week after week, but you're going to have to listen fast as well. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to the book of James, chapter number 1. James chapter number one will be in verses two through four. 
I am speaking this morning on the subject of trials and faith. Last week, it was trials and perspective. This week, trials and faith. Here's what it says, starting in verse number two and following. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your spirit guide us into all truth this morning. God, I pray that the connections that need to happen today for people to have the right perspective and to see you at work in the midst of their trials. God, I pray you would make that connection. Lord, for those this morning that they're coming in, they are overwhelmed, they are burdened, their hearts are heavy. God, meet each person exactly where they need to be met today. And Lord, we'll be grateful for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So in order to reset the table this morning, we're going to have to backtrack for just a little bit and go back to a couple of things that were shared this last week. Last week, I gave you a quote from Warren Wiersbe. I want to share that quote again because the perspective piece needs to be firmly established once again before we talk about the faith side. Here's what he said, and I quote, Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, the trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter, not better. That first part of the statement again, our values determine our evaluations. We need to pause and we need to honestly ask, what do I value? What do I value? If you say, I, I, don't, I don't know what I value, did you know there's a way you can back into an understanding of what you value? Here's what I mean. If you knew that the path to deeper intimacy with God is on the other side of pain and heartache, would you still take the path? If you knew today that the character transformation you've been praying for for years, if you knew today that the spiritual maturity you want to see five years from now, if you knew today that the perseverance that you're lacking in praying for, if you knew all of those things were on the other side of the trials that are in front of you right now, would you joyfully enter into the trials? Our values determine our evaluations. Verse number two teaches us consider it all joy. All joy. From the pain that is unbearable in the moment to the news that you never thought you would hear to the times that you want to give up and walk away to the passages that God has used to comfort you in the process, to the people who have prayed with you and have prayed for you, to the lessons that God is teaching you along the way, to the parts of your character that you hate to see but bubbled to the surface in the midst of the trials, he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. God uses every bit of it. 
Now, let me also say, it doesn't mean you have to like everything you're going through. Here it is. Joyful acceptance is not, I love it, it feels great. Joyful acceptance is sincere trust in the promises and the goodness of God. That somehow he is working it for our good and for his glory. Somehow it is exactly what he is desiring in this moment. We have to value the trials in light of what God is doing for us and what God is doing through the actual trial. So now we're going to settle in for the rest of our time just into verse number three. But we're going to ask four different questions of verse three to make sure we walk away fully understanding what this is about. So here's the the basic part of the verse. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's so short we can read it twice. (laughs) Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Here is question number one. What's being tested? Very simply, your faith is being tested. Did you know your endurance is not being tested in the trials? Your endurance is being strengthened and developed in the trials. It doesn't say the testing of your knowledge produces endurance. It's not the testing of your fortitude or your commitment or your discipline here. This is not a test that is primarily focused on your IQ or your passion or the limitations of your medication. This is about your faith. It's the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, why is it so important that we pause and make sure we're on the same page here? Here it is. If we're unclear about the test we're taking, we might be preparing for a completely different exam. It's like taking a Spanish final and studying your calculus notes. Nothing wrong with studying calculus. I don't like it personally, but for some people, nothing wrong with studying calculus. It's just not going to help you pass your Spanish exam. It's the testing of your faith. You're like, well, Paul, I would never think about focusing on anything other than my faith when my faith is being tested. Oh, we do it all the time. Hey, let me give you some of those ways. The trial is testing our faith, and our answer is we just need more discipline in our life. If I just had more structure, if I had more discipline, I'd get through this faster. Or the trial is testing our faith, and we embark on a two-month study of every Hebrew and Greek word with trial so that we're like, I need to understand this from every level. Or the trial is testing our faith, and we rededicate our lives to Christ and promise to be a better Christian. Nothing wrong with studying the word. Nothing wrong with greater discipline. Nothing wrong with desiring to be a stronger believer. But listen, if the test is of your faith, wouldn't it be appropriate that we spend time focused on faith? Building faith, encouraging faith, developing faith, praying that God works faith. Oh, watch this. Hanging out with some people strong in faith. Did you know there's certain people you don't want to be around when your faith is low? You're like, I love you. We're going to have to talk later. 
You go find you that person who is walking in faith because they are experiencing what you need in that moment. So here's question number two. What happens when your faith is tested? Well, a part of the answer is found in the word knowing. This word, this Greek word for knowing in this verse carries the idea of full understanding that goes beyond mere facts and comes from personal experience. This is so good. This is the type of knowledge you can't glean from a book. This is the type of knowledge you cannot learn from somebody else's story. This is a type of knowledge you cannot learn from a message on a Sunday morning. You have to walk through the trial to get this type of knowledge. This is knowledge gained by personal experience. You gotta keep walking to get the t-shirt that says, I now understand this part. Second part of this is found in the word testing. It speaks of proving or disproving the genuineness of a thing. The testing of your faith produces and shows the genuineness of a faith. How do you know? How do, how do you know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that you have biblical faith? And let me go beyond this. How do you know for sure that you have saving faith? One of the scariest passages that you're going to ever read in the Bible is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say, many, not a few, many, not a small minority, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going through life thinking you're saved, going through life involved in the things of God, going through life thinking I'm ready one day to meet my Savior face to face only to get to that point and to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me. To be deceived about your relationship with God is the most dangerous possible delusion in this world we might not like it when God is testing us it might hurt like crazy when God's allowing us to go through the trials but we want and we need God to test our faith and poke our faith and prod our faith we need that to happen listen on this side of heaven when you get to the other side, that's too late. We, we need him to do that here. And because of the fact that there is this ever-present danger of counterfeit faith, that is profession without validation. You find that scripture continually calls people to test yourselves, examine yourselves, probe your ways, consider your ways, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You find that in Psalm 17, Psalm 26, Psalm 139, Lamentations 3, Haggai chapter 1, Matthew 3, Galatians 6, 2 Corinthians 13. It's all throughout scripture. 
Test yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure, make sure, make sure of where you stand before God. So how do we know if our faith is genuine? How do you know if your faith passed the test? Here's a great indicator. You are still faithfully walking with Jesus tomorrow. How do you know it's passing the test? You keep walking with him. You just keep walking with him. Listen to Jesus' explanation of the rocky soil. Mark chapter 4, 16 and 17. He said, others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. Oh, watch, watch. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They fall away. He, he is describing those who hear the gospel. They make a quick emotional decision without understanding the cost of following Christ. And when that trial, that persecution, that problem comes, they walk away. Listen, it's that trial. It is the problem, the trouble that is testing the genuineness of the faith. Letting them see, is it true or is it real? 1 John 2.19 speaks of those also walking away. It says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Okay, trials and difficulties refine our faith and define our faith. <laughs> when your faith is tested, you gain an experiential knowledge and you gain insight into the genuineness of your faith. But it's also producing endurance and patience. As the more you go through this, and we're going to spend an entire message on this next week, but the more you go through trials and problems, the more God develops patience and endurance for future trials and problems. And the more you walk through the future ones, here's the thing, the more you're able to trust God in all matters. Little faith, little trust in God. Medium-sized faith, a little bit larger trust in God. Big faith, big trust in God. Complete faith, it's always about you. It's always about you. I want God to walk me through that process. I just don't like the process he walks me through. It's the trials that test the faith. Hebrews 11, it speaks of the hall of faith as it has been called, filled with testimonies of men and women of God whose faith enabled them to patiently endure trials. I want you to hear it again this morning in this context. It says they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these gained approval through their faith. And then it goes on. The writer admonishes us and he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance, with endurance, the race that is set before us. Where do you get the endurance from? 
the very trial that you're walking through right now. That's where it comes from. When you see what others have gone through and you have a personal knowledge of what God has taken you through, it strengthens you and gives you endurance for the next set of trials. Question three, why is faith being tested? Faith isn't a side issue for a Christian. It is central to everything that we do. The Bible says we are saved by faith, Ephesians 2. Justified by faith, Romans 5. Walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5. Live by faith, Galatians 3. Serve by faith, John 6. Overcome by faith, 1 John 5. The Bible goes as far as to say, whatever is not of faith is sin, Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Why is our faith being tested? If Satan can break our faith, he can bulldoze our lives. It is a faith walk that we're about here. The enemy is sneaky and strategic. He plays the long game. He doesn't show you his hand up front. If he tried to get strong believers to either recant their faith or deconstruct their faith, they would recognize it as a ploy of the enemy and they would reject it immediately. But here's what he does. Instead, he uses those confusing, painful, hard-to-understand trials of life to create cracks of doubt in a person's basic beliefs about God that he will exploit at another time. Let me explain it like this. Everyone goes through seasons where their faith seems to be stronger and then times where your faith seems to be weaker. There's times that... It feels like if God were to tell you to go out and do some crazy thing, you would jump right out there and say, let's do this. And then there's other times when God clearly is burdening your heart to do a simple thing. And that issue of faith comes up. You know, I, don't, I don't know if I can do that. Over the years, I've noticed in my own personal life, when my faith begins to struggle, there's usually at least three things coming together at the same time. Here's what those are. I'm usually exhausted spiritually, physically, and emotionally. That's one thing. I'm usually growing impatient because of an extended season of trials. That's the second thing. And I'm usually being stretched in my understanding of who God is, of how he works, and how desperate I am for him. That's the third piece. When those three pieces begin to come together, I've noticed over the years, my faith begins to struggle. Exhaustion, impatience, and stretched understanding. Now, we're going to come back to those in just a moment. Also, our faith begins to struggle because of forgetfulness. We have this uncanny ability to think God's promises are only as good as his last big answer to prayer in our life. We, we have this ability to either downplay or forget about years, decades of his faithfulness and his provision and his timing. And, and here's what we begin to tell ourselves. I know he, he stepped in. I know he acted back then. I don't know if he's going to act now. And all of a sudden, we move all of those other pieces towards the back of our mind. The enemy will use our circumstances and our forgetfulness to create cracks of doubt that he will exploit in time. 
here's what I, I, I want you to see. The cracks of doubt that begin to come in are cracks that go back to our most essential, basic beliefs about God. Did you know even before a person places faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, there are some basic ideas of God that they are believing in? I'm going to show you in just a moment that it's those beliefs that come into question when the trial keeps lingering and you're not sure of what God is doing. So I'm going to read the list very fast. Just four of these. There's actually more. But I'm going to read the list, and I'm going to explain them for a moment. These are, these are like bedrock truths of which even before a person becomes a believer, this is what you're, you're trusting in, that God is there, that God has truthfully and accurately revealed himself, that God sovereignly created the world and actively governs his creation, and that God is personal and desires to be known. Those four beliefs will undergird the gospel message. And here's what I mean by that. God is there. It's basic belief that there is a God. He is real. He is present. God's existence is going to be essential for anybody who is going to place faith in Jesus. Amen? You got to at least begin with, I believe there is a God, that he is there. Second one, God has truthfully and accurately revealed himself. Everything we know to be true about God is not because we figured him out. It's because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. He has revealed himself to us through his word, through his son, through creation, and through world events. He has revealed parts of his nature and his heart and his desire through those things. But a part of our belief as Christians is that what he has revealed is truthful and it is accurate. Here's a third one. God sovereignly created the world and actively governs his creation. This is the difference between a deistic view of God and a Christian view of God. Uh, the deistic view of God is that God created the world, but then he took his hands off of everything and he removed himself from the daily governing affairs of the world. If you believe that, then God has no focus on your life individually. He, he's not focused on getting to know you. He's not focused on this redemptive message. He's not focused on seeing what you're seeing and feeling what you're going through. The Christian view is that God created everything. But instead of removing his hand, he is still absolutely, positively, sovereignly involved in every piece of his creation. He sees what is happening. He knows what is happening. He is in control of what is happening. That is a basic belief about who God is. Number four is God is personal and desires to be known. God is not the unmoved mover. He is not some eternal cosmic consciousness. He, he is personal. He is relational. So much so that he clothed himself in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Came to this earth. Lived a sinless life. Died a substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of humanity. Rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. That is how personal this God is. Now why would I bring any of that up? You might think, Paul, this is a tangent. It's not a tangent. When the trials of life are testing you, think of the normal questions you have. Does God care? 
Does God see? Does God know? Is God really in control? Is God really who he says he is? Is God really there? Do you see how it is that if we don't reframe those trials from God's perspective, the enemy uses the trials to create cracks of doubt in our basic understanding of God. We begin to doubt his existence, his veracity, his involvement, and his relationship with us. And if the enemy can get us to doubt one, give it time, he will exploit the crack so that you doubt all of them. It is incredibly important that we recognize it is our faith that is being tested here. Now let's pause again for just a moment. I listed three conditions that I've recognized in my life when my faith begins to struggle. Exhaustion, impatience, and stretched understanding. So think of it like this. What does a person need who is exhausted and impatient and being stretched in their understanding? You think they could use some endurance? You think they could use some patience? Do you think they might benefit from full understanding that goes beyond mere facts and comes from personal experience? Isn't it amazing that the same circumstances the enemy is using in order to create cracks of doubt, God has divinely established to strengthen us and give us endurance and develop our patience and bring about a maturity in our faith. We have to frame it from God's perspective. Question number four, what do you do when your faith is tested? Part of the answer is a recap of what I've already shared. And part of it is a closing thought. We got maybe two, three minutes and we're done. So what do you do when your, your faith is tested? Oh, here it is. These are just fast in your notes. Don't run from the process. Don't rush the growth because you hate the pain. Oh, so many times we just want God to teach the next lesson, and he's like, you've, you've not learned this one yet. Stick with this one. Remember that your values determine your evaluations. R remember that we have to value what he values. Ask God to help you see it from his perspective. In that moment, Consider it all joy. Not pieces, not parts. Consider it all joy. Recognize that the trial is testing your faith. Now, you're going to learn other things, but it's primarily a test of your faith. If Satan can break our faith, he can bulldoze our lives. Recognize that the enemy is using your circumstances. I listed three parts in my life. Exhaustion. Impatient, stretched, understand. He's using that concoction and our forgetfulness to create cracks of doubt and our basic beliefs about God. What beliefs are those? Doubts about his existence, his veracity, his involvement, and his relationship with us. If the enemy can cause us to doubt even one of those, he will exploit it through time to get us to doubt them all. 
So now that you see how he's attacking and what he's attacking and why he's attacking, I encourage you, ask God to strengthen your faith. Ask God to show you the basic steps. There there are basic, daily, practical things that we can do. I, I don't think these are in your notes, but here's just a couple of those. Spending time with God in his word will strengthen your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Spending time with God in prayer will strengthen your faith. Did you know his spirit will point out the lies of the enemy when you're alone with him in prayer? you got to be in prayer. Spend time recounting and writing out and thanking God for his protection and provision and strength in your life. Listen, listen. Gratefulness will counteract forgetfulness. Keep a journal. Write down what God is doing. In those hard times, sit with those again and say, I am where I am today by the grace of God. And here's what God has done in my life. And another one, spend time with mature believers who will strengthen your faith. The collective stories of God's people, as we've walked through hard times, it encourages us that if God could walk them through, he can walk me through. And here's the other part. Your story needs to be shared for another believer who's facing a similar trial. They need to hear what God taught you. There's a statement, I don't know who made it, that a life without contemplation is not a life worth living. Sometimes we get so busy in what we're doing, we don't contemplate what God has taught us. We don't sit with the truths. We don't say, all right, God, I'm here. This is my reality. God, what am I supposed to be learning? Who am I supposed to be talking to? Did you know if you pray and ask God for wisdom and say, who do I need to talk to in this? Do you know many times God will begin to burden your heart with a person's face or a person's name? And then you go and you spend time with them. You're like, now I know why God directed me to this person. This is also a part of why we need the body of Christ. You were never intended to walk the Christian journey alone. Christianity is a community sport. We need each other to become what God created us to be. So as we close out today, I'm going to do things a little bit different. might be uncomfortable for some, but there might be some people here right now that you're just saying, Paul, I'm at the, the edge. I'm at the edge. So in a moment, we're going to have a normal time of our invitation. Our pastors will be down towards the front. There will be people who are here. There's counselors. There's going to be some of the pastor's wives as well. If you need prayer, we want to pray for you. We want to help. It might need to be today that some of you are saying, I don't know where I stand before God. I want to make sure the relationship is right. Come talk to one of these pastors But here's the part that's going to be a little bit different this morning. Today, if you want us to pray over you, whatever your faith trial might be, I'm going to encourage you to come and to stand down front and let us collectively pray over you.
There's other people in the room. You just came out of a faith journey. And God showed himself to be faithful. But there's somebody sitting behind you or next to you that they're in the midst of the battle right now. And I'm going to encourage you to begin to pray for them. So I'm going to ask you if you would, bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Our pastors will go ahead and take their place. The band will be coming behind them. I want to encourage you this morning that you would do what it is God is prompting you to do. If you need prayer today, if you need to talk to a pastor today, a counselor today, let us serve you in that way. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we do not know where everybody is at in this room, in the point of the journey that they're at. But God, we know that our faith being tested is a universal part of being a follower of Christ. So God, we pray today that you would sovereignly meet people exactly where they are. Lord, would you do a work in hearts? Would you strengthen and revive struggling faith? Would you help create deeper relationships in the body so that we recognize we're not alone in this? God, would you do something in this time and after this that God will be so grateful for? God, thank you for how you're moving. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you if you would stand at this time. The invitation time is open. If you would like for us to pray specifically for you, I'm going to encourage you, join us up in the front. And in just a moment, I am going to be praying specifically over people. Respond as God prompts you.